From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. Gerrymandering has become one of the dirtiest words in American politics. It's when people draw congressional or legislative districts to benefit somebody, often themselves. And it takes the blame for a wide range of problems with our democracy. Rigged elections, voiceless minorities, partisan polarization, and no shortage of hurt feelings. My experience on the Reapportionment Commission was... um it's probably the most uh, discouraging experience I've ever had in politics. This is Rob Whitwer, a former Republican state lawmaker. I guess relevant to this topic, I served on the Reapportionment Commission, which redraws the state legislative lines in 2011. This commission formed after the 2010 census. Its job was to draw the boundaries of each legislative district, outlining the voters who'd be served by each Colorado state senator and representative. Well, at the beginning of the commission, on the very first day that we met, I read a letter into the record and I asked the other 10 commissioners, let's do it differently this time. Whitworth said, hey, let's not decide on maps with a simple majority. We should all be able to agree here. And at the end of the day, my my plea and my hope was that we could pass a map that would get both Republican votes and Democratic votes and it would be a consensus outcome. That approach was not accepted by either party. I was asked, you know, what was the reaction when you read that letter? And I think that probably the most descriptive word is crickets. At that point, it becomes a partisan process, so I defaulted to being a Republican member of the commission. What does that mean? Like, what were you advocating for when it came to, you know, fighting for Republican interests on this commission? I mean, the partisans on the on the commission, their job is, is I mean, just to put it bluntly, is to draw a map that's going to elect the most members of their party possible. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. It is purely a play for power. And whichever party has the most votes is going to draw the most favorable map. Whitwer says that's what happened. Democrats submitted maps at the last minute after what he thought was the final deadline. This is after months of process. Big scandal. Denver Post reported on it. Didn't matter. The next day we had a vote. And the single independent on the panel voted with the Democrats to approve the maps. Right away, it was seen as a Republican loss. The new boundaries knocked out some GOP incumbents, and it created more competitive seats where Democrats had a shot of winning. It was almost as though the forces outside the room were so overwhelming that the the personalities inside the room, regardless of how, how much goodwill you had, didn't stand a chance. I mean, there's an enormous amount of pressure, mm-hmm. and that small group of people is at the fulcrum of that pressure. And there really is no outcome other than, at the end of the day, the most partisan outcome because of the way that the current structure is set up. This year, Whitwer is behind a pair of ballot measures meant to fix that structure. They're called Amendments Y and Z. Y deals with congressional districts, Z with legislative districts. But they're basically trying to do the same thing. Take the partisanship out of redistricting. So this week on Purplish, we're going to look at how these amendments actually work and why they're so much bigger than limiting partisanship. What they're really about is balancing voters' competing desires, both for power and for community. And spoiler, you probably can't have both. All 
All right, before we move on to what's on the ballot this year, I want to pull in somebody else who was around for the last round of redistricting in 2011. Megan, really, you're the editor of Purplish. Guilty. Um, yep. And you're also an enormous political nerd, just also like guilty. me, which is probably why you assigned me to the legislature. Yep. And I wonder, like, you're here to talk about 2011. Why should people who aren't huge political nerds care about a seven-year-old redistricting fight? So we can turn them into huge political nerds. <laughs> because redistricting is so powerful. It has everything to do with how much of a voice voters have in Washington. So I think one good way to see that is actually to look at places that have been extremely gerrymandered. One example is North Carolina. Federal judges once again ruling North Carolina's congressional districts are unconstitutional. Ruling today They have a 13-person delegation. Ten of them are Republicans, even though the state's pretty evenly split. Republican-Democrat, kind of like Colorado. On the opposite side, you have Maryland. Maryland has been singled out for having some of the most gerrymandered districts in the entire country. There, they have one Republican congressperson out of eight, even though in 2016, something like 37% of the House votes were cast for Republicans. So you can see that if districts aren't drawn fairly, the party that loses that process, their voters are likely to have a lot less say in Washington for the next decade. Let's go back to Colorado and 2011, because you were actually covering the redistricting process that Rob Whitwer from earlier was a part of. Exactly. And as a political nerd, I now have to be very clear, uh, Colorado has two processes currently. If you're drawing state legislative districts, there's a commission. That's what Rob was on. If you are drawing congressional districts, that's handled differently. It's actually a bill in the legislature. Lawmakers draw those maps and pass them and the governor signs them. But I got to point out that the legislature referred amendments Y and Z to the ballot this year, which basically means they're going to have almost no role in future redistricting fights. Why would they give up the power to tilt the political playing field? I think, frankly, because they see a giant fight coming in 2021 and they don't know which side is going to be on top for it. Mm. In 2021, we're almost certainly going to get a new congressional district. That means the current map kind of goes out the window. It's blank slate time. And Republicans and Democrats can't count on being in control when that happens. So I think to some degree, they're hedging their bets and taking the process off their plates entirely. Right. And to get a sense of what 2021 might be like if Y and Z don't pass, what was 2011 like? Well, it was a pretty brutal fight. Republicans controlled the House and Democrats controlled the Senate. So from the start, nobody thought anything was going to get passed. I will say they did make an effort before the session. House Speaker Frank McNulty, a Republican, stood up and he said that they were forming a bipartisan commission of lawmakers that was going to go around the state, hear from everybody and work together to draw the map. One of our goals is to take what is always one of the most partisan of issues down at the state capitol, try and take the heat out of it, take the politics out of it, and do the work of the people. And I'm guessing that didn't happen. Oh, that totally didn't happen. <laughs> when the Republicans and Democrats finally unveiled the map that each side had drawn, they looked totally different, and they didn't get any closer as the process went along. When did you know that it was actually going to break down, this thing was dead in the water? I remember there was a hearing, and there was a state senator from the Eastern Plains, Greg Brophy, who actually started trying to negotiate in public. He said to the leading Democrat on the panel, okay, what if we move the line this way? When you've drawn as many maps as I have, you know you can actually pull that off. Senator Heath, would you be willing to do that? 
Senator Brophy, right now, this is the map we're presenting. We have looked at many And at that point, what you can hear on the tape is that Brophy grabs his computer and his stuff. He slams out of the hearing room. Let's get this, uh, let's get this map out of this committee. Uh, and let's, uh, and, and he sits have, just fuming in the hallway. I am um, just a little disappointed that uh, there's no willingness to actually work in front of people to draw a map. And that was it. The process was pretty much over. Pretty much. The legislature couldn't agree on a single map, so each side took their map to court, and the Supreme Court picked one that it thought was the best. And this is a point that I like to make about redistricting in Colorado. On the books, it says that our legislature draws congressional districts. Well, for at least 40 years, the Supreme Court has had the final say. So one argument for changing our redistricting process is we don't follow it anyway now. What kind of job did the state Supreme Court do in 2011? Did they decide on a map that gives either party an unfair edge? In both the congressional and the state-level redistricting, they picked Democratic preferred maps. So I think people thought the Democrats had won that process. But if you look at our congressional delegation, it's actually 4-3 Republican, and it's been that way for like eight years. I think on the congressional level, you might be able to say the maps seem to favor incumbents because not a single incumbent Colorado congressperson has been voted out since this map was adopted. Right. What about the state legislature? This is something maybe only you and I care about. But we but, care so much. We care so much. I mean, are the state legislative districts, so the state house and the state senate, are they drawn to advantage either one party or the other? Well, I think you can see some of that, especially in the Colorado House, where Democrats hold more seats than they proportionally got votes in the 2016 election. So after covering this whole process, what did you feel like you learned? I had one really big takeaway that I've been thinking about, honestly, for seven years, giant nerd. Um, I went into it thinking that competitive districts are the goal, that that's the good thing, and that drawing lines for any other reason is bad. This is the idea that you want districts where either party could win because then that way voters actually have a chance of making a difference. Exactly. But when you watch this process, you realize it's actually a lot more complicated than that. I mean, why? You said earlier that Congress should should reflect the political views in the country. And I would think that the way you would do that is to draw competitive districts where either party has a chance. And if you draw enough of them, then then Congress will probably end up reflecting the political views of the whole country. But the other way to look at it is that you also want Congress people who are really fighting for the interests of their district. And if there are kind of too many interests lumped into a district, that gets harder. You want to be in a congressional district with people who share your concerns so that your congressperson shares them too. Okay, I got it. So it, it's like if you're a voter, it's not just that you want competitive elections. You want to make sure that when whoever it is actually gets to Congress, they're representing your community. And I heard that a lot in 2011. People came to that redistricting panel to tell them who they wanted to be lumped in with and who, for the love of God, keep us away from. For the Southeast counties to be a part of the 5th Congressional District is an injustice. By not putting your mountain communities together in a strong district, that voice becomes slighted. I think God created Denver and Jefferson and uh, Arapahoe counties to keep those folks apart. 
So everyone kind of just wants a district that's full of people just like them. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, yeah. I mean, I remember there was one woman, she came specifically to ask for competitive districts. Safe districts do not represent all of the people in their districts. And I think that we need to have the representatives represent everybody. But then someone on the panel started pushing back and said, okay, so what if we split your county to do that? And I remember she was like, eh. Huh. Okay, so like when you boil it down, it's that redistricting isn't just about partisans looking for an advantage. It's like a question for voters. Do they want more power in a competitive district or do they want their community, their city, their county, their region, their industry, whatever, to have a single representative who gets who they are and gets where they're coming from. It kind of comes down to a question of priorities if you're a voter. Is your priority that you live in a community where you've got a congressperson who's really focused on your concerns because everybody in this district shares them? Or do you want to live in a district where maybe there are a lot of very different kinds of communities in it, but your congressperson has to fight for their job every couple of years and maybe somebody else new is going to come take it if they can represent your district better? Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll look at these amendments on the ballot and how they balance this tug-of-war between community and competitiveness. And we'll try to cheat the proposed system to see if it can really stop political operatives who want to draw the lines in their side's favor. Hey, podcast listeners, this is Brad Turner. And if you like Purplish, you might like the latest episode of another podcast from CPR. I host a show called Centennial Sounds, and the newest installment is actually about something purplish, or just purple. This is music by a composer named Benjamin Park. Ben felt exhausted during the 2016 election. He was sick and tired of ugly political battles, And he was thinking of how nice it would be if our red and blue states felt a little more purple. So he decided to write music about it. I wasn't going to write a piece that was going to fix that, of course, but to have a certain element of hope. He called its composition for Purple Mountains. He lifted the title from America the Beautiful, which you might know was inspired by a trip up Pikes Peak here in Colorado. Hear an exclusive full performance of For Purple Mountains by Benjamin Park and the story behind it on the Centennial Sounds podcast from CPR Classical. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to CPR members for making shows like Centennial Sounds and shows like Purplish possible. You're back with Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. This episode, we're looking at amendments Y and Z. Both ballot measures are before Colorado voters this November, and together they would overhaul how political boundaries are drawn in Colorado. To understand how they work, let's start with how they were first conceived. There are a handful of us who served in the legislature together who still get along. And so I sent an email around just to say, hey, let's get together for lunch. This is, again, former Republican Representative Rob Whitwer. We heard from him at the top of the episode about his experience on Colorado's Legislative Reapportionment Committee in 2011. In 2015, he invited some of his old buddies from the state legislature for lunch at an Irish pub in Denver. They weren't all from the same party, but they did share one thing emotional scars and lingering frustration over previous redistricting battles. Bernie was there. 
Uh, my name is Bernie Busher. Um, I'm a resident of Grand Junction, Colorado. And a Democrat. Served with Rob Whitworth in the uh, State House. We are just getting together because we wanted to catch up on what each of us was doing. Do you guys remember what you ate? I probably probably had a salad. I probably then undercut that with a side order of fries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had the salmon Caesar. <laughs> um, and we got we got to discussing uh, politics as we always do in pol- policy. And when redistricting came up, I think there was just a, a unanimous feeling around the table. Why can't this get fixed? Everybody sees what's wrong with it. It's just patently obvious that this is a broken system. How come it hasn't been fixed until now? And, and, you know, we're old legislators. We used to serve in the legislature. So it's very easy to say, you know, it isn't as good as when we were there. <laughs> and, and how do we make it better? Uh, but we, we kind of agreed on five, six, seven principles that would be involved in doing this right. It was these principles that formed the backbone of what's now Y and Z. And they have two overarching goals, prevent partisan gerrymandering and strike a balance between keeping communities together and encouraging competition. So first idea to do that. The commissions ought to have equal representations from unaffiliated. In other words, the panel should have the same number of Democrats, Republicans, and unaffiliated voters. But we also believe that the decision-making should be done by a supermajority so that you just don't have one person whose vote swings the outcome. The idea was to require a bipartisan compromise, and they decided that compromise should be struck in public, not some back boardroom with a bunch of well-paid politicos. This entire process should be subject to open meetings and open records and as transparent as possible. There should be neutral criteria that don't favor either party. This means the districts should have to conform to city and county lines wherever possible, and they should be compact, not weird, squiggly shapes that don't make any sense. And if the commissioners manage to meet those goals... These commissions should promote the maximum number of competitive districts. So first, respect communities, and then, whenever possible, draw competitive districts. This group of former lawmakers walked out with a plan. It was by no means an easy route onto the ballot. The state Supreme Court shot down a first attempt in 2016, and this year they had to merge it with a competing redistricting proposal from a coalition of progressive groups. Finally, last May, the state legislature referred Y and Z to the ballot. This is Colorado at its best, and I think we've got in front of us a Colorado solution that will soon be a model across the country. And they did it in a pretty surprising way. They voted unanimously to get out of the redistricting business. Who really wants to stand in front of their constituents and say, I support a status quo where uh, the partisans draw the maps and where you, the voter, are, are completely taken out of the equation? And you mentioned, earlier that you have no doubt that if this passes, there will be political operatives plotting oh, yeah. to find some you know, mm-hmm. little way to get an edge. Yep. Do you see any vulnerabilities in the plan? Um, well, if I did, I'm not going to advertise them to invite the, <laughs> to invite the operatives to, uh, to, to game the system. But uh, there's the old saying that if you build a better mousetrap, the mice get smarter. 
Okay, so Rob Whitwer might not be willing to speculate about how somebody could steal the cheese from his proposed newer, fancier mousetrap, but I can. To help me do it, we're going to turn now to Amanda Gonzalez. She's the executive director of Colorado Common Cause. It's a nonpartisan group that supports voter access and trying to make government as representative as possible. And it helped craft amendments Y and Z. So for our conversation, I'm going to be the sneaky political operative and look for ways to, to gain a partisan edge. Sound, sound good? Sounds good. You look like every political operative I know. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, when I play Monopoly, like, I'm ruthless. Like, I hide money under the board. I rig the bank. I unmortgage properties. I make trades based on future incomes. I'll take kickbacks. Like, <laughs> You're ready I'm, to go. All yeah, right. I'm not a political operative, but in another life, maybe. Um, so my big thought for how to cheat your your system is to get the right people on the commission, people who are my people who I can trust to support my interest and my party. So walk me through it. How, how does this work? Okay. So we're trying to get to four, four, and four. Four Democrats, four Republicans, four unaffiliated voters. Correct. Twelve. Yes. Okay. So yeah. we're going to have 12 people on our commission. The first step is there's an application that's announced to all of Colorado. Anybody can apply. So even you could fulfill your dream of being on a redistricting commission. There are some requirements, though. You can't be a lobbyist or an elected official or have worked for a political party. Then you got to survive a random lottery. Because in California, they had over 30,000 applicants. So. Wow. We're just trying to ensure in case something like that happens and we get that much interest in Colorado, that there's sort of manageable pools. This is going to be like people, you know, signing up to go to Hamilton or something. (laughs) Right. High stakes. After that? A panel of three retired judges then evaluate those pools for what's called in the initiative's community criteria. Are you part of your neighborhood association, your PTA? We don't, we don't want people who live in a hobbit hole and don't know anything about the state, right? Next, six of the commissioners would be appointed at random. The other six would be appointed by that same group of retired judges with some advice from legislative leaders. And they're going to do that with a lens for the diversity of the state so that the commission hopefully looks pretty similar to the state of Colorado. Okay, I, I mean, as the sneaky political operative here, I mean... Is this complicated just to, like, confuse me? Is that the purpose of why it's so complicated? Uh, I'm not going to say that we're trying to confuse you, but we're definitely trying to thwart you because they have to get through a couple different stages of both random chance and nonpartisan selection. It should be pretty difficult to handpick someone. The, this commission, its its records would be open to the public, right? Correct. And the hearings would be open to the public? They would, and they have to be held throughout the state. Okay. This sounds great for me because if it's a public hearing, I could just get all my political operative buddies together and I could be like, go pose as a member of the public, go to this commission, advocate or criticize the map based on our partisan leadings, and maybe you can influence some of the commissioners. Yeah, I mean, that's any public meeting. All different parties have tried to sort of ambush elected officials. And so I don't think that that ruckus would drown out the rest of Coloradans. But what if rather than trying to approve the maps, I just enact a public campaign or a secretive campaign to scuttle the maps, to to try and get the commission not to succeed and, and looking for ways that it can be deadlocked? What happens then? 
So the maps are going to start with nonpartisan staff drafting them. There are provisions in the language that selects one of those as a default if nobody can agree. So it sort of incentivizes that the commission work towards agreement. Right. Oh, so legislative council, this is a great idea. Legislative, they're the quiet bureaucrats of the Capitol. They kind of make sure the whole system works, right? They, that's how these people are. Correct. And they and they draw the initial maps. And if the panel can't agree, it reverts back to those? Correct. Okay, well, let's say hypothetically, I just so happen to know some people in this group. And some of them are just so overworked. They need to get out of Denver. And I have a friend who has a vacation home in Costa Rica. <laughs> and they can take a break and take it easy. And if that gives them the time they need to think about, I don't know, like the right kind of map, this would be a great opportunity. <laughs> so there are, of course, ethics rules that govern uh, okay. Colorado. So there would be that. Uh, I think the next protection around that is that you would also have to get through the commissioners. So if we had a map that was drawn in a way that wasn't very ethical, that there would still be these public hearings, these commissioners that are from all different walks of life and all different parts of Colorado, and the criteria by which they have to draw them. So I think that the shadiness of your Costa Rican vacation map uh-huh. uh, would quickly emerge. Okay, honestly, that's like all the ideas I have. I, I want to put my journalist hat back on, though. I mean, this commission, it has space for the two largest political parties in the state, the Democrats and the Republicans, and then it also has space for unaffiliated voters. Correct. Some people have criticized that as, you know, basically cementing a two-party system into the Constitution. Do you think that's fair? We talked about this a lot as we were working on drafting and, and changing this language. And right now, minority parties are somewhere around 2% of the population of Colorado. And so on a commission of 12 people, even if one of those seats was promised to minority parties, it would over-represent minority parties on the commission. That being said, all of these meetings are open. And so it's my hope that if you're a member of a Green or Libertarian party, that you're still participating in the process by submitting comment and, you know, potentially even submitting maps so that everyone can have a say um, without over-representing any particular party on the commission itself. One thing that uh, strikes me as a journalist, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot following this whole uh, process and seeing the legislature vote for it unanimously is everyone supports this thing. And that makes me nervous because I think that there's some advantage for the existing political class, say, that that I'm not seeing. Do you worry about that at all? Oh, we had that same freak out and we couldn't unturn anything. So I understand uh, your skepticism, but I actually think it's a pretty good policy and that it's just a result of a diverse group of people coming together and creating a stronger policy because we all had different ideas. Amanda, thank you uh, so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right, one last thing on Amendments Y and Z. These ballot measures would change how political lines are drawn within Colorado, but a lot of the money to support them comes from beyond our borders. The effort has raised almost $4 million so far, and half a million of that comes from former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, another half a million from a dark money group called the State Engagement Fund, and several members of the Walton family are also big donors. One notable group that's not on that list is the National Democratic Redistricting 
Peacekeeping Committee. That's the group run by former Obama Attorney General Eric Holder. It's backing reforms in other states, but it hasn't endorsed YMZ here. And finally, it's worth noting that Colorado isn't the only state trying to change this process. Voters in Utah, Michigan, and Missouri are also considering reforms, and a handful of other states also have efforts in the works. And that's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a CPR member or join today at CPR.org. I reported and wrote this episode with help from Rachel Esterbrook, Brad Turner, and Kim Wynn. Audio production from Mr. John Pino. The TV news tape you heard came from the PBS NewsHour and WCNC in North Carolina. Our theme music was composed by Brad Turner with additional music from Poddington Bear. And like every episode, this one was edited by Megan Verlee, who always has to find people who poke holes in even my best ideas. The shadiness of your Costa Rican vacation map would quickly emerge. See you next week.